0: episode of preferred walk on PFF's college football show. I'm your host Max Chadwick alongside my co-host Dalton and producer Eli back there as well. Dalton, we went over our PFF All-Americans that just came out and the full list is out yesterday at uh, pff.com if you want to check that out. Now we're going over our awards. Obviously December is basically all about trophies in college football. You got conference championships, you got bowl games, you got the obviously national championship. And at the individual level, There are so many awards to give out in college football. In fact, there are like 23 of them that we're going to give out today, basically position by position, some other unique awards too. Uh, I'm really excited for this, man. One of the things I love about college football compared to other sports is that there are so many awards to hand out at the end of the year. So I'm really excited to go over who uh, we all think would uh, get the 23 college football awards that we're handing out today. Yeah. And I, and I honestly,
1: I look at this group of names that we have for these awards and I'm, I'm not sure I remember a season with so much talent. This, this is just a loaded, loaded class of names and, and so many names in consideration for them that that had to be left out. Obviously you can only pick one for each, but uh, th- this is, this is about as talented a group as I can remember during awards season at, at every position, there is no let up anywhere here. I, I, I don't, I don't know about you Max but this is this is loaded as an award class and all-america class and and what's going to be an insane draft class especially through the top yeah. 25 or 30 as I can
0: remember. It absolutely will. So just to remind you guys this is basically voted on by 17 of PFF's top college football analysts, data collectors, top college football minds, basically in pro football focus, voted on this. Uh, So we're going over every single award. And the article is actually already out at PFF.com. So we're only going over the winners of each award, but there there are about three to even five finalists for every award that we put as well. So if you want to check out who just missed and who we would have had as the finalists, check it out as well. These are who we would have as the winners and who who we would have as the finalists because some of them have already been given out, and obviously all the finalists have been named already. Uh, So it's not exactly the same as what the actual award is doing. But this is what we would do if we, PFF, would be handing out every single award. So first one we're giving out is obviously the biggest one, Uh, the Heisman Trophy. It's maybe the most prestigious individual honor In sports, I mean, there's a lot of other ones you could go with. Ballon d'Or, I know, and soccer's a huge one. Uh, But I I think the Heisman Trophy, Dolan, is is up there for sure, as well as the Maxwell Award, which are both given out to the best player in college football. This guy wins that award and the Davey O'Brien Award given to the best quarterback in college football, it's Jaden Daniels, the quarterback from LSU. Led all quarterbacks in the nation with a 94.7 grade. That was fourth all-time in PFFs college system since we started in 2014 only behind Mac Jones Zach Wilson and Joe Burrow and right in front of Kyler Murray as well so Jaden Daniels was the best runner at the quarterback position in college football he had the second best passing grade at the quarterback position in college football he was absolutely stellar this year Dalton, and honestly I I think it's a pretty clear choice for the Heisman Trophy even though LSU went nine and three this year
1: I think it's an easy choice, and you mentioned the nine and three again. His his defense gave up 142 points in those three games. Yeah. So Daniels had a Lamar Jackson type of year, and he deserves Lamar Jackson type recognition. And I think a big thing for me at the end of the day, when I think the final two everybody was looking at were him and Bo Nix, and yeah. Daniels' passing numbers were roughly equal to Bo Nix on a hundred less attempts and a whole lot less screen passes. And then he added in over officially over 1,100 yards rushing. And in our system, when you take out the sack yardage, which I don't know why the NCAA still does it like that, it's 1,250. So yeah. he's he's got more, I, I believe it's more than a 700-yard total yardage advantage, 50 touchdowns compared to, I believe it was 46 total for Knicks, on a lot less opportunity and a, a much less, I don't want to say less, I guess less friendly quarterback system, but Daniels yeah. had to make vertical throws that that nicks did not have to make nearly as often nearly doubled him in big time throws um i think when you really dig in on the two-way impact and just the type of year he had and you mentioned the fourth best grade in pff history uh, this this really gets to be an easy call towards daniels
0: yeah absolutely so you want to go over to our next award which is the uh defensive player of the year basically in college football
1: Absolutely, and to anybody who's been paying attention to us all season, shouldn't be a surprise. The Benaric Award, the Nagurski Award, the Lombardi Award, the Hendricks Award, best defender, best lineman, best defensive end in the country, UCLA's Layatu Latu, a 95.3 overall grade that led all players in the country and is the second best in PFF history among edge defenders, behind the 96 from Chase Young in his final year in 2019 in Ohio State just an incredible season interceptions forced fumbles 14 sacks uh, just everything this guy was unstoppable he was great last year at a 90 plus grade last year and and hit another gear he's going to go top 10 in the draft i believe Trevor Sikema you said the other day has him fifth going, yeah. fifth, going fifth right now to the bears just a, an unreal year and an unreal year for the UCLA defense um really a shame that they couldn't get their offense together to match that because their defense, that that was a championship-level defense so between Latu and the Murphy brothers and everything else they had going on. But that defensive line was maybe the best unit in college football, and it starts with Layatu Latu.
0: It absolutely does, man. He was incredible. And again, just looking back at what his story was, it makes it even more incredible where he had to. He went to Washington. Can you imagine if he was on that Washington defense with Braylon Trice right now, man? Oh, my God. That would oh, incred- just be nuts. Maybe one of the best. And, and by the way, uh, Braylon Trice was our first team All-American edge alongside Latus. So they could have had... Both first-team All-American edges on the same team with Edifuan Ulufosio, uh, who we'll get into in a later award, uh, star linebacker for them as well. A really good second. Yeah, that Washington defense would have been nasty. Lo- alongside that offense, I mean, they might have they might be the favorite for the national championship right now if they had like Lata. I think he makes that big of an impact. But he was at Washington. He had a neck injury. They forced him to medically retire with that neck injury. So he missed the 2020 season. And the 2021 season transferred to UCLA was unbelievable. It reminds me a lot, uh, Dalton, of Jalen Phillips. Remember, Jalen Phillips originally went to it's kind of the opposite where he went to UCLA originally, had the injury, medically retired, then he went to over to uh, Miami, blew up in Miami, top 20 pick, and now he's killing it in the NFL. Of course, he just suffered that season-ending injury, which is very unfortunate, but still doing a great job in the Miami Dolphins. Lots is a lot like that, too, where it's like he goes from Washington to UCLA medically retired, but comes back, has an unbelievable year, and is going to be a first-round pick just like Jalen Phillips and probably going to pick higher than Jalen Phillips, honestly, and hopefully uh, can stay healthy in the NFL as well because he has been unbelievable. So very deserved award for Liatu Latu, who was amazing this year. The next one we're going over is the Doak Walker Award, which is given out to the best running back in college football, and we're going with Ollie Gordon from Oklahoma State, led the nation with 1,614 rushing yards this year, and it makes it even more impressive, Dalton. First of all, you look at that right there. Oklahoma State's offensive line had a 55.4 run blocking grade, which was 98th in the country. Well below average run-blocking unit at Oklahoma State. And You saw in the Texas game, they kind of really held Ali uh, Gordon in check there. Not his fault at all. I mean, they, he just had no holes to run through. But he still led the nation in rushing yards. Not only is that impressive with a bad run-blocking offensive line blocking for him, he also only had 19 total carries in the first three games. Meaning, basically in the last 10 games that he played this year, he had 1,600 yards. So he was averaging like six, uh, 160 yards per game basically, in the last 10 games of the season, which was absolutely absurd. Uh, so Ollie Gordon, listen, it was a great year for running backs, but Ollie Gordon, I think, stands out among them all as to how ridiculous he's been. With Honestly, with only 20 carries in the first three games and with a bad run-blocking offensive line as well.
1: Yeah, for sure, and honestly, you know the Big Twelve title game. He only had thirty-four yards, but they ran into the absolute worst matchup that yeah. they could in Tavondre Sweat in Texas. Yeah, you know, I take nothing away from. And Oklahoma State for some reason came out on their first drive and threw the ball three times. I-, I just I don't know why they wouldn't try to run Gordon through the ground in that game. But no, he was he was fantastic. When you think about basically, really in nine games, he did more than some of our other candidates. You take Audrey Estime and Amari on Hampton, mm-hmm. and some of these guys did in twelve. Uh, it's it's pretty clear cut Uh, explosive runs having to create for himself not the best offensive line five touchdowns in the big 12 championship or sorry before the big 12 championship game to get in against BYU yep you know brought him from behind in that game I believe they were down 17 at one point just uh just an incredible season uh explosive runs breaking tackles just carrying really carried Oklahoma State to the big 12 title game
0: yeah Absolutely. So you want to go over to our uh, next award, the Blitnikoff Award? Absolutely. This is a fun one. Um, th- so many great
1: candidates, too. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. This might be the best class of receivers I've ever seen, mm-hmm. to be honest with so you. This is just incredible. But one guy stands above, and it's Malik Neighbors. I know Marvin Harrison ended up as the as the fourth finalist in the Heisman race. Um, I, I actually, being that it's kind of a token thing anyway, we, we pretty much know who's going to win it or one of two guys are going to win it. Um, I would have actually had neighbors as the fourth guy going. Yeah, fair. Um, led the, led the country in yards, led the country in grade, best deep threat in the country. I believe he finished the year with a ninety nine point nine deep receiving grade. Um, just between him, the combination of him and Daniels was the best offensive pairing in college football this year. Uh, just there, there was no answer for it, really, from anybody. Um, uh, just the. Screens, deep balls, everything in between, and and it, it, you know it all just led to just this unstoppable force. The only way you could beat it was putting up forty-five to fifty on them. I mean, yeah, it's just the the only game they didn't they weren't great was the Florida State game, the first game of the year, put up only twenty-four. Um, after that, just just unstoppable. A championship caliber offense led the country in EPA per play. Um, And neighbors neighbors himself. He's going to find himself in the top 10 of the draft as well. Just a a, just a just a threat at all levels, especially deep. And and him and Daniels and obviously Brian Thomas deserves his credit, too. But him and Daniels were the most unstoppable force in the country this year. And honestly, I think they both should have gone or both should go to New York for the uh, Heisman ceremony instead of Harrison.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And honestly, you remember back to the 2020 year when both Mac Jones and Devontae Smith went to New York for the Heisman Ceremony. That actually was the only other time that, I said this in the last episode, that's the only other time where the highest-graded quarterback and highest-graded receiver are on the same school. So... Uh, it's insane what those two were able to do this year. So, yeah, Malik Neighbors, very well deserved. Brian Thomas, you mentioned him, man, he leads the country in receiving touchdowns this year, too. So, you got the receiving yards leader is your number one receiver. Your receiving touchdowns leader is your number two receiver. Insane what the LSU offense is able to do this year, man. But, uh, yeah, Malik Neighbors, very well deserved, I think, for the Blitnikoff Award. Next one we're going over is the John Mackey Award, which is given out to the best tight end in college football. This one was pretty easy. Brock Bowers from Georgia. Even though he missed three games with an injury, he still led all tight ends in the country in yards after the catch, receiving yards after contact, and forced missed tackles. And, Dalton, this is the third time in three years that he's an All-American for PFF. So I'm bringing this take once again to the table. I think Brock Bowers is the best tight end college football has ever seen. I I truly think that. Ever since his true freshman year. Ever since he graduated high school, he's been the best tight end in college football basically three years in a row now, man. And this is his second John Mackey Award win if he actually does end up winning the John Mackey Award. Nobody has ever won the John Mackey Award twice, and I think Brock Bowers is going to accomplish it. So I understand that some people might argue for him not to be the best prospect ever. Maybe Kyle Pitts might get that. Vernon Davis, I remember, was a very highly rated prospect. But just in terms of who was the best tight end in college football history – My argument would be Brock Bowers for what he's done in three years now. And basically, if you look at his career numbers, he's leading all tight ends in PFF metrics all time. Uh, From 2014 to now, since we started, he's basically leading in every single metric. So I think Brock Bowers, again, John Mackey award win again after he won it last year. uh, I I think he's going to go down as the greatest tight end in college football history
1: yeah i agree and if i i would have to check the update because i looked at it about a month ago and i I believe there is not even a power five receiver in the pff era with a higher receiving grade that's how i mean he's he's the biggest matchup nightmare um in college in college football over the last three years And, and i think the most impressive part not that it matters for this year's award but you don't see freshman tight ends come in and dominate. No, and, and he and he did, and and for that first national title run for Georgia, and and, it, and he's just not slowed down since. He's only gotten better. I, you don't see you don't see tight ends take jet sweeps. No, like like they're tailbacks. I mean, this guy he runs like a tailback. I I just he he really the comp for me. He sure looks like George Kittle, but maybe even more explosive. Yeah, and if that's that's what he turns into, there's not a team in the league who shouldn't take this guy. Whoever gets him, I mean, uh, any offense. He's not just you know he's not just a glorified receiver like some of these tight ends that come out are. He's an excellent blocker. Um, just even with missing the three games, just a clear cut choice. Uh, just he's so so dominant, and and I'd be. I I I'm so curious I'm so curious to see I think one of the most fun things in this draft is where he will land and and I just don't I don't think it's a situation where there needs to be a big fit he's just so good it's
0: unreal how high would you take him Uh, obviously fit matters and and where and what teams need tight ends because obviously it's not a position that you really take highly in the draft all that often but how high if, if say if everyone needed a tight end how high would you personally take him in the draft do you think
1: Oh, I, th- I think I think you could very reasonably take him in the top five. So do I. I, I exactly. Yeah, I, I think obviously thing. I think the quarterback need part comes first when you talk about teams that are going to want Caleb Williams, Drake May, Bo Nix, Jaden Daniels. These mm-hmm. guys. That's that's going to be the biggest part to it. Um, and then I think I, I think talent wise, and even a lot of other years, he would almost certainly go top five. Then it's a matter of I, I think the quote. This draft is so loaded with weapons. It's
0: no. Oh my God, Marvin. Harrison, then I think Jr., you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Th- then you sit there and think about. You probably have three receivers in the top ten in Harrison, Neighbors, and Romo Dunze. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be weird because I think for teams need and sometimes now the 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 need for everyone you can never have enough wide receivers. Yeah. I think he's going to go. In the top twelve or thirteen, yeah, same. but you you could easily argue him into, and and I think any other year, like in last year's draft, he, he's probably going fourth or fifth. Honestly, yeah. I, I I think he could be like where Seattle took Devin Witherspoon. I think they would really take they would they would have thought about taking a Brock Bowers if he was eligible. Absolutely. Right? This year, with the number of weapons and the number of quarterbacks, I I it wouldn't actually shock me if he slipped to. One of those teams that won like six or seven games—that's mm-hmm. better than you think. Um, I'm trying to—I'm trying to think of an example. Even even if um, I, I know, I think did Trevor recently mock him to Tampa Bay? I th- that's not a that's not did. a bad fit if they figure out something at quarterback. Um,
0: yeah, Tampa Bay at ten, he, he mocked him too. So 10, or like no. let's let's say if
1: I was even like actually you know the you know the one I thought about it for this because they don't need a quarterback certainly. Can you imagine Brock Bowers and the Cincinnati Bengals? Oh,
0: dude! I know. I know. Every Bengal fan wants Brock Bowers. That's that's basically everyone. I, I right would now, so yeah. they didn't. They
1: didn't do it last year. They didn't trade up for Kincaid last year. If he, if, that's actually to me the perfect team. Yeah, they won. They <sighs> they won the other night. They have five wins. I don't think they're still getting a whole lot more than that, unless Jake Browning is the next Joe Burrow. But they, that would be a team for me to look at for. Brock Bowers I mean Chase Bowers I don't know if they'll end up keeping Higgins or not there's a contract situation yeah, but that's that's it, just yeah. such a fun fit for me
0: yeah dude I, I know producer is a huge uh, Bengals fan I'm sure he would be over the moon with Brock Bowers and he should be honestly because that would be oh my god that'd be a slam dunk pick so uh, another guy Don that should be going in probably the top five to ten of the draft is our Outland Trophy winner so who is it uh joe alt from notre dame
1: uh if you heard us the other day he's one of the best tackles in pff history there's really you throw on the tape there's no flaws with this guy he's only given up 13 pressures over the last two seasons dominant run blocker at notre dame as well and i think that's the separator here for olu fashano from penn state is just as good a pass protector but joe alt just he has it all he has it all and honestly another guy I think a I think a good team is going to get a really good player with him. Alt could be a guy that drops a handful of spots depending on how many teams want weapons instead of linemen. Um, I know he's been mocked to the New York Jets a ton lately, mm-hmm. and that makes a ton of sense. Don't worry, Jet fans. But uh, he he there's just no flaws with him. Best tackle in the country. Best offensive lineman in the country. And. You know, pretty much every other – I went over this the other day. Every other tackle who has his career grading profile, Ryan Ramchick and Penny Sewell and Joe Tooney, uh, th- these these are big-time players mm-hmm. on the offensive line, and, and he's going to be one of them. I, I think he's the safest pick in the entire draft. I really do. I Sometimes with receivers, you got to get the fit and the quarterback in the situation. Obviously, the quarterback, some of them going to go – you know, Caleb Williams is not going to go to a great team no matter where it is, mm-hmm. Right. This is the safest pick in the draft. Um, Really, when you look at it and his profile and and the baseline for what he could do, a a potential maybe down-the-line Hall of Fame left tackle
0: yeah absolutely man. i agree I think you and I both said in the All America team I think this is the o t one in the draft, and I know a lot of people disagree with that. Most people disagree with that. A lot of people have Olu Fashanu uh both interviews we have by the way Joe and Olu Fashanu but alt I think brings a power element in the run game that Fashanu really does not, and alt is just as good. I think of a pass protector man. I know Olu's got the traits that you kind of look for in a franchise left tackle, but Altman, I mean, six foot eight, three twenty, three thirty, or something like that, and he moves. The balance is really well for a guy who's that big. Uh, I, I love Joel. We'll get into some no, draft. Takes Notre on. Dame,
1: Notre Dame offensive linemen
0: always play up, man. They always, always. do. Uh, Zach always Martin,
1: do. Mike McGlinchey. I mean, there's Quentin just Nelson, too, too yeah. many guys. Yeah, yeah. too Absolutely. many guys who have succeeded from Notre Dame. Not to, I, and I know sometimes it's like, well, you have to take the player, but you know, offensive linemen from Notre Dame and and it used to be from Wisconsin also, you just take him. You just just do it.
0: Yeah, second straight year, Joe Alt was the highest-graded offensive tackle in the country, and he was second in both pass-blocking and run-blocking grade this year. I mean, he's unbelievable. He's, he's amazing. Uh, another guy who dominated, honestly, one of the most dominant years like I've ever seen a center have is our winner of the Remington Award, which is given to the best center in college football. That is Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon, JPJ. He led all centers in overall grade, pass-blocking grade, And run blocking great. Every single aspect, this guy was the best in the country at. And on 471 pass blocking snaps, only one pressure allowed. Zero sacks, zero hits, one pressure allowed. That means he had a 0.2% pressure rate allowed, which is absolutely absurd and was by far the best in the country. So Jackson Powers Johnson... Dominant, dominant year. I remember Tyler Linderbaum had an unbelievable year for Iowa a couple years ago, and that was one of the best we've ever seen. Jackson Powers Johnson, what he did is probably right behind that man, and or close to it at least, because dominating in all aspects were one of the best offensive lines in the country.
1: Yeah, and one of the best offensive lines of the entire decade that yeah. we've been doing this, and especially in pass protection. Uh, I'd have to, I'd have to see if they're, if they're. Uh, pressure rate finished under ten percent for a while. It was at about nine and a half percent. When usually the team that leads the country is in the right around thirteen, thirteen and a half. It the level of dominant and pass protection, especially, is insane. And I, I could argue that he was just as valuable as Bo Nix in their success. I mean, the the pockets when you watch Oregon take the pockets that that Nix had to sit in were just. I mean, he. He could have sat back there and had a meeting, honestly. Just, yep. just insane. And, and in the run game, Oregon's always great in the run game. And and I think the thing to keep in mind too when evaluating him is he he played guard last year, one of the best guards in the country, I believe in the top ten or I think he was the twelfth best guard in the country last season. Mm-hmm. And, and moving to center, that's it's the hardest transition is moving from anywhere else to center with as much as you have to do mentally and and for him to go in and dominate like that. And, and spearhead that offensive line to their success it was really their offensive line to me was the biggest reason for their success even more so than nick's for as crazy as that sounds and it starts with powers johnson
0: it absolutely does right now he's a top 60 prospect for pff on the big board i, I honestly might even think he's higher than that man for how good he was this year but that kind of wraps up all of our offensive awards Dolan. So why don't we go over to uh, the other side of the ball now who gets the uh buckus award for the best linebacker in college football
1: Uh, It's going to be, this was a tight vote too among all our voters. We had some really fun names thrown in there. Peyton Wilson, Jeremiah Trotter, who might be a first round pick coming. Uh, Jason Henderson from Old Dominion was mentioned a couple of times but we went with Edger and Cooper. He led all FBS linebackers with a 91.7 grade. The only linebacker with 85 plus grades in all three facets. Um, He's just fun to watch. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, Two things that jump out at me with Cooper. Instincts, and speed yeah i'm gonna be honest with you and and other than the lsu game because this is how this is how i know and i was waiting for this matchup and it was so much fun to watch this is how i know Jaden Daniels is a freak of nature because against a&m he still had 120 rushing yards i'm gonna tell you edron Cooper's the best spy in the country okay he was very very often when opponents had a mobile quarterback out there even jalen milrow this guy shut down yeah jalen milrow taking off running or joe milton who's a really good athlete best spy in the country he had it uh, was it close to ten sacks that he had. Yeah, I think it was. I forget. The, yeah, I, he and it's not as a blitzer. This sounds funny. It's as a spy. The second quarterbacks break the tackle box, Cooper's gone. I, yeah. I mean, the speed on this, I would not be shocked if if he came out in the draft and he ran a four four. Honestly, speed and the instincts in the run game. He plays. He plays linebacker the way every linebackers coach would want a kid to play. It, it, he's so good he's so well rounded and, and i think those are the two things he's going to be if he comes out in this draft the most one of the most fun guys to watch and and honestly got enough size to just everything about this guy and the athleticism it, he's he's the most fun linebacker to watch in the country and it's and this is well deserved uh, he uses those two things better than anybody.
0: Absolutely does, and it, I remember uh, Trevor Sikkema came to me and asked me. He's like, "Hey, is there any guy that you think I should keep an eye on during the season?" I said, "I don't know if you've watched him yet, but check out Edgerrin Cooper." He's like, "All right, I'll go watch him because he hasn't seen him yet." He's right now the number one linebacker on PFS Big Board. Now.
1: Speed, speed, and instincts. If you combine those two things, I mean, to be honest with you, that's that's what Fred Warner is. Yeah, speed, and, speed, and instincts in all facets. And and, and this guy, I'm telling you, he's just you. You see linebackers with speed who have no idea how to use it or where to go. This is not the case. And, and now with the mobile quarterbacks taking over the NFL too, the ability to have a spy like, like that. Think about, you know, they had Gary Danielson during the Georgia-Alabama game showing Georgia needing two spies on Jalen Milrow to keep him somewhat contained. No, a- A&M had Edger and Cooper. They didn't need a second one. Yeah, And Milrow, I think that was Milrow's lowest rushing grade of the season. I'm telling you, this guy, it, it sounds funny, even as a spy on the quarterback, is the most fun linebacker to watch in the country.
0: He absolutely is. And it's amazing the jump he made this year. Right? I think the instincts, like you said, took a huge – he's only the athleticism. Yeah, it was always there. But he had six, yeah. a 66 grade last year, a 64 grade the year before, and a 91.7 this year, man. Major jump, and he's just. I, you mentioned it. I think he's just seeing the game at a level that no other linebacker is seeing it right now. So, right now, the number one linebacker on PFS Big Board for the NFL draft, and the number one linebacker in college football this year, man. He was absolutely fantastic. Next up is the Jim Thorpe Award, which is given to the best defensive back in college football. So, not just cornerback, not just safety, best defensive back overall, which made it a tough award to hand out, honestly, when you're combining those positions. Uh, We went with Tyler Newbin, though, the safety from Minnesota. He led all safeties in the country with a 90.3 grade, and on 19 targets this year, he had five catches allowed, and also caught five passes himself. Five interceptions. So, he... Caught as many balls as he let receivers catch on him this year, which is absolutely ridiculous. He also had a 17.5 passer rating allowed, which led all safeties in the country. There are a lot of other guys you could have gone for this award. Kool-Aid McKinstry, Sebastian Castro, uh, Tarion Arnold from Alabama as well. But uh, I, I think overall, when you look at just how good Tyler Newbin was, I think he was pretty clearly the top safety in the country. Whereas for cornerback, I think there's a strong argument for a lot of guys to be the top corner in the country. But safety, I think it was pretty obvious that Tyler Newbin was the guy this year.
1: Yeah, the easiest argument. Definitely an easy argument than the corners. And and Newbin. I think, again, had the, hard, the hardest situation to succeed in considering Minnesota's offense, right? And, yeah. You know, Alabama's secondary has the luxury of – you know, if, if they give up 21-24 on a given day, they can still win. Or, or uh, you know, I, Iowa's secondary obviously has a lot of work to do um, uh, considering their offense. But, no, newbin has been a stud two years in a row with this. And you mentioned five interceptions. Sometimes here and there the traditional stats do matter. And when you yeah. look at him versus McKinstry, who didn't have any. Now, McKinstry, we went over Mondays, lights out. Mm-hmm. Lights out on lights out. But five interceptions and to only allow five catches um, when you're playing. You know, even – I believe they played Michigan. You know, you still have to play a Big Ten slate. Um, this is this is well deserved. Best best safety in the country. A um, couple other candidates who are very good. I think a Caleb Downs also. But yeah. we you know we've mentioned three guys all on the same team. So yeah. <laughs> Newbin Newbin back there has to really run the ship himself. And, and th- this is just well deserved. He should be the Thorpe Award winner.
0: Absolutely. So, next award is a very interesting one, Don, and a very contentious one. I, I, we kind of thought this guy that did end up winning it would run away with it, but there were a couple other candidates that really made a run at it. So, this next one is the Paul Horning Award, which is given to the most versatile player in college football. So, who ended up winning it for us?
1: We we stuck with it. We stuck with the early favorite and went with Travis Hunter. When you think about the eighth best receiving grade in the Pac-12 and the ninth best cover grade. Um, you know of all, of all the freaks we've talked about today this guy might be the freakiest athlete Um, it, it makes you wonder how good he would be at either if he just went with one but yeah. you talk about I mean they they leave him on islands and Colorado's defense at the end of the day was not a good unit but they leave him on islands and he succeeds more often than not spectacular interception on the offensive side Um, you know they, they used him in the slot a ton and and I think mentally the slot is actually more challenging than playing the outside and, and the dynamic things that he can do. I I think you could still argue that he's actually the best athlete in college football and, and to play the amount of snaps that he does at those positions. It's not like something like, Oh, Patrick Ricard, right. For the Ravens used to go both ways and play fullback and like maybe eight to 10 snaps at defensive tackle that, that can be done considering the way fullbacks are used. This guy is out there at corner every snap and he's out there at receiver probably 80 percent of the time you know they try to give him a spell on offense here and there but you know when it's third down and they need a big play travis hunter has to be there in the slot and uh, this guy it, it's i think colorado is still a team to watch next year yeah primarily because of Shador sanders and travis hunter so it, this makes sense there's some really good candidates for this award Sioni vaki comes to top of mind too for yeah. utah um i, I mean to to really jumpstart their offense the way he did in the middle of the year was incre- it was, was insane too, but um, Hunter, even though he missed three games, the number of snaps he played and the success he had on both sides of the ball makes this a pretty easy choice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He had uh, three interceptions, which t- tied for the second most in the Pac-12, 721 receiving yards. That was top 15 in the conference too. And what I think is crazy, man, he played 1,044 snaps in nine games. Nine games, a thousand. So, just for reference, when we look at the when we put the snap minimum for players for the grades is three hundred for a season. Three hundred is the minimum for a season because twenty five snaps a game is usually what a starter or a guy who plays enough to be to warrant uh, being ranked is. That's kind of the minimum. So we put twenty five snaps a game, three hundred snaps for a season. He played over three times that despite only despite missing 3 games with an injury so he averaged 116 snaps a game and like i said the average for a starter ish is about 25 so Almost five times that he played, man. So he was on the field for a lot for Colorado. So, yeah, absolutely deserved uh, Travis Hunter, Paul Horning Award. Jelani Stafford I want to shout out to. Uh, one of our data collectors, I think, shouted him out. I was like, oh, yeah, actually, he's a guy that should be a finalist too. But uh, great D tackle for UConn. Also had six rushing touchdowns too for UConn as well. So uh, really interesting, uh, really great Paul Horning Award uh, list that we had this year. So next one is the uh, Luke Groza Award now, which is given to the best kicker in college football and that is Joshua Cardi from Stanford who had a 95 grade this year that led all kickers in the country by 3 points and he was 11 for 14 from kicks of 40 plus yards. That 11 field goals from 40 plus yards were the most in the country. Also, he made all 21 of his extra point attempts this year. Now of course Some people might look at that and be like, oh, that's not that impressive. Well, a lot of other kickers in college, you're not as reliable. A lot of them do miss at least one or two extra points, even the best ones. And Joshua Cardi still made all 21 of his extra point attempts. So Joshua Cardi is our pick for the Lou Groza Award, which is given to the best place kicker in college football.
1: Yeah, and we went over it the other day. He's actually the best kicker in PFF history, passing up Daniel Carlson. This year, that 95 field goal grade was second behind Carlson in 2016 when he was at Auburn uh he's he's gonna be in the nfl for a long time he's just consistent also third and kickoff grade max i mean he's yeah. just he's just all around he's got everything everything you could want we're gonna hear his name for the next 15 years
0: absolutely so next one Dolan, is uh the ray guy award now for the best punter in the country so who who ends up winning this one uh we actually went with james Burnip from alabama let all
1: punters in grade and let all punters in hang time he um he, you know, it's funny. Our voters got actually, we got a lot of votes in for Tory Taylor from Iowa for the sheer amount that he had to punt. But that's that's not always, you know, that's not always the. It doesn't mean you're the best punter now. Tory Taylor's one of the best punters, but Burnup was just excellent. Eleventh in net yardage, first in hang time, um, and you know, obviously, Will Reichard gets all the flowers as the all-time leading scorer uh, in NCA in college football history. I don't know if it's FBS or NCA all the way around, but the all time leading scorer. But Burnup, I mean, his value, even at times, especially earlier in the year when Alabama was struggling offensively. Um, anytime you have an elite punter, it really helps out. You know, you wonder in part why Alabama is so hard to score on. Yeah, it's their defense and the best secondary in the country, but field position matters too And this guy creates it. He did an excellent job this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely did. So the next one we're going over is the uh, Johnny the Jet Rogers Award, which is the best return specialist in college football. We went with Zachariah Branch from USC, another guy who missed a co- some games with injury, uh, but he was the only player in the country, Dalton, with a kickoff return touchdown and a punt return touchdown this year. This guy is the definition of electric, man. I mean, there, there have been comps from Percy Harvin to Jalen Waddell. Uh, I remember you said you saw some Tyreek Hill on him as well. I mean, this guy is electric, only a true freshman for USC as well, so we'll see who their next quarterback is, because there have been rumors of them going out in the transfer portal. I know Will Howard took a visit there, but whoever it is uh, will end up having a really, really fun playmaker in the next two years uh, in Zachariah Branch, man, and what he did as a true freshman even with missing time as a, as a return specialist and as a wide receiver was electric, man. It showed why uh, he was a top-fiver recruit coming out of high school last year
1: yeah uh just just wait till they just wait till they get him into a full-time receiver role next year max this might be the most fun guy to watch in college football i i I do i think i think his feet i think he's got tyreek hill level ability with his speed there was too many times where his returns turn games around for usc and even in games they lost game a chance i remember one against notre dame especially i think he brought inside the 10 they, he's he's electric. It wouldn't shock me at all if he was just the most electric playmaker in college football next year. This guy can line up anywhere, return, receiver, slot, out wide, at just dynamic. if you put him in the backfield, he might be the best running back in the country. He's, <laughs> his his feet, I'm telling you right now, his feet when he just moves up this depth chart, they're so loaded. This year at receiver, that he was really like the fifth guy. Wait, wait till he's really the feature act in this offense and watch what happens. He's one of the most talented players in the country, and I wouldn't be shocked soon if we're talking about him like we talk about these other receivers.
0: Absolutely. So he was a true freshman. He had a great year as a true freshman, but he was not our pick for the Sean Alexander Freshman of the Year award, Don. So who was the uh, best freshman in college football this year?
1: Best secondary in college football, safety position, Caleb Downs, 13 coverage stops, first team All-American safety. I would say the second best safety in the country behind... Tyler Newbin, which is incredible, considering the pressure that comes with playing in an Alabama secondary that's always elite. Stepping in for Brian Branch and Jordan Battle, who graduated to the NFL, Um, just unbelievable work. I believe led Alabama's defense in snaps played uh, to go back there and be the leader of that defense, and and and, you know with such big names around him too, McKinstry and Arnold. um, Just the I, I can't even explain how consistent this guy was as a true freshman in that defense a lot of times you know having to play single high back there by himself uh, just an incredible year and, and i think next year uh, goes in as, as the favorite to win the thorpe award honestly and he just does it all coverage rundy uh, is he's just where he needs to be all the time they're, they're right now unless we find one in these playoffs there is not a flaw in caleb downs game he's He's, he walks into next year as the easy favorite, as the best safety in the country, and possibly for the Thorpe Award. I, I I just Alabama's secondary is going to be just as good next year with this guy in the back end.
0: Dude, it absolutely is. And I want to shout out, I mean, we're going to rank our top 10 at every position during the offseason heading into next year. Uh, the safety position, what they had in true freshman this year was ridiculous ridiculous. You got Caleb Downs, Dylan Thienemann from Purdue, who was one of the best safeties in college football as well. Uh, And then Khalil Barnes from Clemson. All three of those guys were among, I think, the top 11 highest-graded safeties in the nation this year. All of them true freshmen, too. Insane what the true freshman class at safety... I mean, you you, you can see it at pf.com. The three finalists for this award were all safeties. I mean, it was insane what what we had at the safety position this year in true freshmen. So I think Dylan Thienemann, Khalil Barnes, I mean, they might be... and Caleb Downs, they all might be top five top six safeties in college football in our list that we're going out for next year I mean they all three of them were unbelievable so uh next one is pretty near and dear to this show because we recall preferred walk-on this is the Burlesworth trophy which is given to the best player who started his career as a walk-on, and very close between this guy and another guy that I know you love, Uh, but we ended up going with Edifuan Ulofosio, who was the Washington linebacker. Uh, He was an honorable mention All-American in 2020. Then, over the next two seasons, he missed 14 of 25 games with an injury, finally gets healthy this year, 91 coverage grade, second among all linebackers in the country. And we have a stat called wins above average metric, which basically measures how valuable a player is. And he was the third most valuable linebacker in the nation according to that metric right behind Edron Cooper, right behind Peyton Wilson who are our first team All-American linebackers. So Edifuan uh was fantastic this year. Again, Cody Schrader from Missouri had a really good case and he could have won it and I think he actually ended up actually winning it. They already awarded it and Cody Schrader did win it, but we personally would have gone with Edifuan Ulufosio who I believe is a second team All-American for PFF uh, and Drake Stoops from Oklahoma, another another former walk-on. He had a great year for Oklahoma as well so we want to shout him out, but uh, Ulufosio ultimately Dalton was the guy that uh, we all ended up going with
1: yeah no and it was, it was tight and honestly i i, I love schrader I, I don't mind him winning the award um wow. either almost i believe it was almost 1500 yards and giving that missouri offense that balance just an elite offense and he was really at times the engine of it but ufoscio man i mean just just the balance three sacks as a blitzer as well big time coverage grade it allowed only 18 catches for 140 yards all season and for a linebacker that's that's tough because there's so often you even this just you could just have just one game where your linebacker gets isolated. Somebody finds a matchup, and and you got to think about it. they're playing USC. They played Oregon twice. They're playing these high flying offenses in the Pac-12, and he still it just just lights out. This is what you look for in a modern linebacker is is balance and and to be as good in coverage as as he is. Um, I, I think it's something that teams need to, teams need to look out for. Uh, I, I, he's probably not a first-round pick, but teams need to look out for this guy if they want a coverage linebacker, because they're not just third-down guys anymore. Teams throw the ball on first down more than ever. This is a guy to look at.
0: Absolutely. So next one we're giving out is not an individual award. It's actually given to a unit. Uh, it's a Joe Moore Award, was given out to the best offensive line in college football. I think this one also was very, very close uh with the winner and the two finalists we had. But ultimately, dawn who was the winner of the Joe Moore Award? Ended up being the Oregon State Beavers and and the holes they were
1: paving in the run game for Damian Martinez and just and Deshaun Fenwick, uh, best run block grade in the country. Uh, best overall grade in the country because of it. And Talisi Fawaga, right tackle, is the best right tackle in the country. He's going to be a first-round pick. Um, just, just mauled you. And and the wild part with this team for me, and Jonathan Smith will probably bring that to Michigan State with them, is they didn't do anything schematically to fool anybody. They lined up sometimes with tight ends next to them too, and they ran outside zone, they ran off tackle, and they did it over and over and over. You knew that's that's the sign of a good – Run game, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody in the building knows you're running it. And for them, especially running it 75% of the time, run it over and over, run the same play from slightly different formations a hundred zillion times, and they still just maul you. Uh, I, I think this is well deserved. There's some other ones that were great. Georgia's offensive line was great again. Michigan, of course, had a really solid year. Um, Oregon, with their pass protection, easy candidate. But this team, um, they they don't try to fool you. You know, you mentioned before, like with Ollie Gordon and Oklahoma State and the poor run blocking grades. This team right here and Damian Martinez was spectacular this year. But this team right here rode their offensive line as far as they could um, and almost almost upset Washington because of it. Yeah, um, just just a great unit and, and a fun unit to watch if you're like an old school just smash mouth football kind of fan. They they don't do anything fancy, Max. They you know, and we'll see it even in their ball game. They're gonna line up. They're gonna maybe put a tight end or two next to them and they're just gonna get off tackle behind these guys and mall people.
0: I love it. I, I feel a little vindicated too because I ranked them as the number three offensive line heading into the season. A lot of people did not like that. Uh, and they played awesome this year. So I feel a little vindicated. I'm happy for Oregon State. Wanted to shout out though the two other finalists because I think it this one really came down to the wire. Uh Georgia I think maybe the best all-around offensive line uh, whereas Oregon State really excels in run blocking. Georgia's really good at pass protection. I think top 10 in the country in that, and also top 10 in run blocking. The other one I want to shout out is Oregon, who is kind of the Oregon State equivalent in pass protection. Whereas We mentioned before how how dominant they were in pass pro. Still good in run blocking, but dominant, dominant in pass pro. This is kind of the same thing with Oregon State. They're dominant in run blocking, good, and solid in pass pro, but it's the run blocking where they make their money. So those two I think were very close. This one, Dalton, I, I had to put it in the group chat of just who the heck should we give it to because I have no idea, and I'm curious to see your take on it, and I think we both agree who should win it. Uh, It's the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year Award, which is given to the best coach in college football. Uh, We went with Kalen DeBoer. The Washington head coach, but man, you can make an argument for I think six other guys, probably, and a really strong one. But Washington, they won thirteen and zero this year. College football playoff first time since twenty sixteen. They're the number two team in the country heading into the college football playoff, even though they started off number ten in the AP poll. Uh, Deboer now has gone twenty four and two in his first two seasons in Seattle. Washington was 4-8 and eight before they hired him, in the season before they hired him. It is incredible what this guy has done this year for Washington. But again, I think you make an argument for Mike Norvell, Nick Saban, I think has had the best coaching job of his career, uh, Steve Sarkeesian from Texas, and another one I want to shout out, David Braun from Northwestern. I mean, they were going to be, we all thought they were going to be one of the worst teams in the country. They're 7-5 this year with everything going on in that program. That's another guy that I think deserves a shout-out too. But uh, we ended up going with Kalen DeBoer here.
1: Yeah, no, there's there's a there's a ton of guys. I'll even give you a couple more. I, I think I, I don't maybe not win it, but I think Ryan Day did yeah. an unbelievable job. Our, our guy Eli Drinkwitz, yes. what a job he did yep. at Missouri. And, and I think in the same token, I believe was it last year that did Jim Mora
0: win it last year with UConn. Uh, he might have. I gotta look back at the winner, but yeah, he might have. Because
1: turning, turning UConn, I believe, into a bowl team in, in, in that Hill. same breath as Braun at Northwestern. Yeah, uh, you know another one. I just just that I throw at because I I, I watched them a lot this year. I, keep an eye on and especially in the future, keep an eye on Alex Golish at South Florida. It took basically the worst team in the country, and everyone transferred out. Several of them to schools like Colorado or or a former USF quarterback that started at James Madison and nearly went into. At South Florida, Alex Golish, what he did, and now he's going to play a bowl game against your Syracuse Orange. In I know. Boca, I'm nervous down there at F- down there at FAU Stadium. That's another that's another guy to look at, and I think a Group of Five sleeper next year. The turnaround down there too was spectacular at South Florida, but now DeBoer makes a ton of sense to me. Um, I, I think this seemed to be amongst the group the most uh, unanimous one. Um, just what he's done, he brought in Penix from Indiana, and it's not a two year award, obviously, but they did go undefeated. And to be honest there are some metrics where you could argue that Washington should be number one ahead of Michigan. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that, I think the big one for me, when I think about this is the number of times everybody during the season wanted to complain about, Oh, well, they play in too many close games and they're not dominating wire to wire like Oregon and the eye test, the eye test. And I go, there is something to getting, especially college kids in tight situations, in close games, both games against Oregon, the Washington State game, the Oregon State game on the road when they were underdogs in the pouring rain and, and constantly finding ways to make one more play than the other team. I think there's some signature moments, man. And, and I think about, two. I, I love DeBoer's willingness to live and die with his best players, and that's especially Penix and Odunze. When I, when I think about um, two moments for me, the Oregon State game, when they when they were salting the clock away, and I believe they had a third and one or fourth and one. Basically, that would have been either we're going to give Oregon State the ball, or we need a first down to win the game. And instead of just running it right down the pipe, he threw a back shoulder fade to and say That was just a just a perfect ball, one of the best balls I've seen thrown all year. And then Washington State, that game when the game was tied, fourth and one from somewhere around his own thirty five. And he runs the end around to Odunse. He gives Penix the option of, you know, line up in this formation and here's three different options, you go with it. And he trusts Penix to make that call. And if it didn't work, certainly would have lost the game because Washington State needed only about probably 10 yards to hit a surefire field goal. His, I think his awareness in tight situations, his calmness in tight situations, and the ability to just allow his best players to, to win yeah. the football games instead of trying to just be oh traditionally this is how it's done or whatever i i think is his best attribute and i think it's what could get him all the way to a national title
0: yeah so just uh to answer your question it was Sonny dykes last year at tcu i think that's that's oh that makes sense that makes yeah
1: i know jim mora i think was in consideration for yeah. what he did at uconn i know he was up there but yeah that makes Sonny dykes well deserved last yeah. year too. i mean yeah.
0: going from five and seven before he was hired to the national championship game is insane so i, I think yeah. that's completely deserved um yeah, there's like 12 finalists almost every year for this award. So, yeah, I, there are so many guys that deserve. Jerry Kill from New Mexico State. I mean, man, that oh, program was a dumpster. I mean, that was a – he he did a great job there as well. Uh, Jamie Chadwell, Liberty, I think deserves a lot of love too. I mean, there's a lot of guys, but it was close, man. I, I really think you can make an argument. I mean, with Mike Norvell, with what they've done to – Get to thirteen and L with all the you know chaos going on with that team. Uh, Nick Saban, I think, with two new coordinators, a new quarterback, it looked bad with the USF game losing to Texas. Now it's, it's Alabama again. It's just Alabama again. I think that I argued before this might be the best job we've ever seen Nick Saban do in his career. Uh, I, it's incredible what he's done. Steve Sarkeesian, Texas making the playoff. Everyone you know makes the jokes. Texas is back. Those kind of jokes. They actually are back now. Uh, and then David, like I mentioned, David Braun. I think in terms of just most improvement I think is easily David Braun in terms of what he did with that Northwestern program so very well-deserved promotion he's now the permanent head coach after serving as the interim head coach so yeah that is definitely uh one but finally Dalton, the last one we're doing is the Frank Bro- actually no not the last one we're doing we got one more after this we got the uh Frank Broyles award which is the best assistant coach in the country uh Phil Parker from Iowa actually ended up winning the award yesterday. Very well-deserved. Love Phil Parker. I think he's the best DC in the country. But we want someone different in the Big Ten for the uh, best assistant coach in the country.
1: Yeah, Sharon Moore, uh, Michigan's offensive coordinator. When you think about what he had to do stepping in for pretty much half the season as their interim head coach and still getting it done. Now, I know outside of the Ohio State game and the Penn State game, some softer competition. But to win those two games, stepping in, especially the first game with Penn State, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and really seeing that running the ball just about every play, you know, that's still his offense he's calling, was going to get them over the finish line in that game. Just, again, finding ways to win. In, in these tight games, it's the hardest thing to do sometimes as a head coach and for him to step in and do that in the two biggest games of the year on top of Michigan's general success on offense right JJ McCarthy for a while we had in the Heisman race mm-hmm. um, Blake Corm had 20 rushing touchdowns they you know they had to replace some veterans on their offensive line, especially at center they they just they, they pieced it together man despite everything obviously going on around them and, and to step in that's a hard hard thing to do and I know I know even Jim Harbaugh was still there during the week for practices but game day game day is everything game day is everything especially when you have the two biggest games of the season under your watch and, and having to make tight you know have first to have to call the offense in games like that when I don't believe he's ever been a head coach before mm-hmm. and to make decisions you know fourth down decisions and yeah. things, I know especially in the Ohio State game there was a couple of fourth downs that 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 were tweeners for sure, and and he he chose you know let's all right let's get the ball to Blake Corum or let's roll McCarthy out sprint out and throw the ball. Uh, it, it's it's really really tough to come in as much as you can go over it on paper during the week, it's tough to come in on Saturdays in front of a hundred thousand people and make those decisions. And he did, he did an excellent job in Harbaugh's stead coaching that team.
0: He absolutely. And that's what pushes him over the top. Whereas this usually goes to, okay, what unit did you coach and how well was that unit? How good was that unit? This was more of just, man, you, you kept it going, man. Whereas a lot of other assistant coaches would crumble under that kind of pressure. I mean, you go in the happy Valley against a top 10 team in Penn state, by the way, we didn't know if Harbaugh was coaching that game until that morning. It was a noon game. And we found out at like 10 a.m. that, okay, Sharon Moore has to coach because the restraining order didn't come in in time for Jim Harbaugh. That's a tough spot to be in, and yet he still won that game. Uh, and then, of course, the Ohio State game. That's the biggest game of the season for co- not only Michigan, for college football. Number two versus number three, and you win that game as well. So that, I mean, that is insane that Jerome Moore is able to do that. Uh, and it shows just kind of the culture that Michigan's got there too, man, where it's kind of next man up mentality, which is why we argue for Florida State makes the playoff with next man up mentality, but... Uh, Michigan did it in a very good way this year with Sharon Moore. Half the season, I mean, the first three games and the last three games of the season, he had to step in uh, as the head coach, which is incredible. And he, the fact that he went 6-0 and during that stretch is is great. So great job by Sharon Moore. Going to be a Power 5 head coach probably pretty soon. Uh, as well for what he's done uh, at Michigan. But last one we want to give out is actually not an official college football award, but we'll call it the the preferred walk-on award, which is the best long snapper in college football. That, of course, goes to Trey Corley from uh, Louisiana, Monroe. 83.8 grade, first in the country among all long snappers. Zero bad snaps on 36 field goals slash extra point attempts this year. Like we mentioned, we have grades for every single player on every single play in every single game. And that includes long snappers. So if we have grades for long snappers, we're going to hand out an award for the best long snapper in college football since they're not recognized basically anywhere else. So Trey Corley gets our vote as the best long snapper in college football this year.
1: Absolutely. It's forgotten how important that position is, man. But, you know, it's the same thing. You know, long snappers, long, long snappers have to, you know, they have to try out for the NFL and some are better than others too. When it comes to accuracy and even the timing and everything, everything is such an operation when it comes to, the punt game and the field goal game. If you're if you're even a tenth of a second slow in either, you might have a major problem. So to be to be the best at that position is still an honor and, and incredibly important. And I, I'm just going to say it again: whoever got him that bow tie deserves a medal <laughs> to match the team colors. That's great stuff. <laughs> honestly. Elite. but 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 no, I mean it's it's so it's so so important. And I know to the naked eye, um, it, it's it's maybe I I almost I don't want to say boring, but it like just it's almost something that you can't even you can't even tell unless you're around it every day or you're watching tape all the time or so often like if you see a team that um that let's say they, they leave the country and block punts, that's that's not about the punter. It's it's sometimes it's about protection and very often it's yeah. about the long snapper and not getting it back there faster. A tenth of a second can make the difference on any of this. And then when you talk about field goals, I you know, I, I think about say Kansas State against Texas, right? And and had a couple botches in the kicking game. That that it's that that big a margin uh-huh. that much, and and your long snap it's it's so so important and it's probably something long snap and special teams everything in the third phase we get we get the Groza and the guy awards the fancy stuff but the, the entire operation is what coaches always talk about when it comes to that
0: yeah maybe we should get a holder award i don't i gotta find the holding metrics so maybe we'll do a holding award next year or something like that too so we get that that'd be really fun as well but oh, yeah wow. trey corley our long snapper honestly don't if whenever i have a kid i'm gonna might just train him a lot of people train them to be quarterbacks I might skirt around that and do training to be a long snapper. I don't know if anyone's training their kid to be a long snapper. So, if I can get my kid in the NFL that way, I will absolutely that's, I think that's the way to do it, honestly. So, uh, I might do that. But, uh, yeah. So, Trey Corley wins the preferred walk-on award for the best long snapper in college football. We'll probably get a better name for that later on. But, uh, yeah. So, next up that we're going to do... Maybe, maybe maybe it's the Trey Corley Award. Maybe it's the Trey Corley the Award. That's the first one. Maybe it is. Maybe it is the Trey Corley Award. But, yeah. That actually would be pretty good. Maybe we could look back at uh, the history of PFF and who the li- lo- uh, highest graded long snapper ever in college football was. Maybe we'll, we'll name it after that guy. That could be a good one, too. Uh, but last thing we're going to do, Dalton, before we go, is there is one game this weekend. Yeah, this is the one weekend before bowl games start. Uh, and before it gets really hectic, but there is one game. And of course it's one of the best traditions in college football. There's only one game on this Saturday and it is army versus Navy, the troops versus the troops, Dalton. Uh, and it should be a really awesome fun game. I, this is, I, I've always wanted to go to an army Navy game. Haven't gone to one yet. Uh, but it's one of the best traditions in college football. So Reed really thought we'd give you kind of a quick preview of, uh, what are the best rivalries in college football? Yeah, I'm curious to see.
1: Um, I, I don't know. I don't think this is the. F- Actually, I think it is the first year because it's been in Philadelphia forever, and this year it's being played at Foxborough. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see if the weather plays any factor up there because that's that's not the most fun place to play this time of year. Um, no, this is. I, I think the thing that struck me looking at these two teams is is how they're they're basically identical, Max. Yeah. I think there's been a long time, at least since we've been around, is that. One or the other has kind of clearly been better, even though you still get a good game because of the rivalry. I know for a long time Navy was the better team, mm. a long time, and then it kind of flipped back um, towards Army's direction in the last few years. But this year, both five and six, both just about identical metrics across the board. Um, you know, Navy Navy's had some issues this year. They've had to play four different quarterbacks, including now a freshman and Braxton Woodson. So they're, they're trying to piece together the quarterback position. Had a lot of injuries. Um and, uh, you know they it's this is about an even a matchup as in Army Navy, and they're always even matchups because of the style and the familiarity and the rivalry you throw really you throw records and all the stats out the window and you just get the game you get um you know it's I, I don't think it's the way it used to be they they're I remember growing up, I think it was Navy one was it fifteen years in a row Something somewhere like that, in there yeah it was it was a lot it's not like that anymore, but these two teams. You look at all the numbers and every it, it, they're they're identical. And, and to me, pinpointing a couple of things, I, I would say I, I'm curious to see which Navy defense shows up. So in their five wins, they've only allowed thirty points total and have a ninety-one point three defensive grade. And in their six losses, they allow thirty-seven points a game with a grade around sixty-two. So it, it's a it, I, I think it's that because especially with them playing with their freshman fourth string quarterback. Army's defense is a little more consistent. They've only allowed 30 points once, and that was at LSU when they gave up 62. If you take out the LSU game, Army's got somewhere around the top 35-ish defense in the country. Um, Played Syracuse pretty tough. I believe they were up on them early. Beat UTSA, a really good team. Um, Coming off three straight wins, beat Coastal Carolina uh, two weeks ago. I think I think I like Army. I think they're a little more consistent. Bryson Daly at quarterback has been a constant all year. He's I believe he's been the only quarterback that's started this year for them, as as opposed to Navy on their fourth stringer. And really, it, 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 it depends. I think this game is a, obviously it's a better matchup for Navy because their biggest problems were in the secondary, and Army's still not going to obviously throw the ball a ton with the way these two play. But I like Army's defense a little bit better in this game, and I would take Army 20-17. to 17.
0: Ooh, a little more high score than I have. it. I got uh, Army winning this one 17-13. I'm going to have Army winning. But, yeah, it ultimately comes down to who runs the ball better. I mean, you look at the top three teams in terms of how often they run the ball. They're all three service academies. Air Force is number one right around 85%. Uh, Army is number two at 76%. Navy's number three at 73%. So these are two teams, obviously tri- triple option offenses, run ball a lot. Who runs the ball better? Who defends the run better? Has to be the, the ultimate deciding factor in this game, and I think Army kind of has the advantage in both aspects. Army has the 50th best tackling grade this year, while as Navy, uh, I think it's believed, is like right around one sixty, yeah, 116th in the country. So um, I, I think Army is a little more well-equipped in this game. Uh, the weather could play a big factor as well. It's going to be a low-scoring game. The over-under right now for this game is 27.5 points, uh, which oh, wow. is right around the Iowa kind of over-unders that you get a lot. So uh, it's going to be a good game. I think, I think it's a, like I said, these are two evenly matched teams, two teams that do not like to throw the ball at all, the two teams that love to run the football. Um, and it it could be a little ugly in this game with all the weather and all the running and all that, but I got Army in this one 17-13 over navy getting the win over navy both teams five and six by the way i know all the bowl games were announced uh i wonder if this matters at all for bowl eligibility i i believe i don't
1: believe either of them can make a bowl game i i think the thing is is that they have to have six wins before this game Gotcha. just to be, just with the way the scheduling is and they, they can't have anybody really like on hold like that i believe neither of them can make a bowl game
0: you're right in the, all the bowl games have been announced and neither of them are in it so you're right so this is the final game of the season for both teams so another big uh part too so uh yeah really fun game one of the best traditions in college football is the rivalry between army and navy uh both Dalton and i have army in this one so yeah it should be a, a fun game and i'm something i'm looking forward to watching on saturday and kind of the only game of the day honestly so and a lot
1: of the last game for them before they will actually both army is joining the american next year yes uh so so you've got next year there there have been I think there's some scheduling quirks where the game is still going to be played on this weekend. Yes, yeah, Um, and and possibly if if in. Some scenario they ever were both in the conference title game, I believe they would play two weeks in a row, they would still do it like that, so that that's the fun hypothetical with that, but I think it's good for Army to get in the conference and compete in a conference along with them.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're getting a lot of independents that aren't going to be uh, independent anymore, a lot of them are joining conferences, right now we have about four independents an uh, in Army, UConn, UMass, and Notre Dame. Uh, we'll see what happens in the future, man, honestly with with all that. So uh Army like I said, joining the AAC is gonna be a lot of fun. So that's what we got, man, for our mid for our not midseason, postseason awards. I wish it was a midseason. Uh, and then also of course a little preview of the Army Navy game. Next week we'll get into a lot more stuff. Uh, probably transfer portal stuff, honestly. Get into some of the top players in transfer portal. Prince Uman Mielin, just uh, enter the portal. The Florida Edge Defender, I think he might be the best player in the transfer portal period. Uh, Get into a lot of that and maybe rank our top players in the portal, rank the top positions, all that. could be a lot of fun next week for the transfer portal stuff and obviously uh, also preview some bowl games as well that we're going to get starting next weekend. So it should be a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, As always, please uh, rate, review. Listen to where you get your podcasts. Uh, leave five star review. Um, leave your questions there. Leave your takes there. We want to react to your guys. Do a little mailbag episode pretty soon. So we're gonna do that pretty soon. And also, I'm gonna pretty soon. I'm gonna make the um, Bowl Mania uh, group for everyone to put their bowl game picks in there. And we got the okay, doll. And we're actually gonna give out a PFF subscription, year long subscription, to the winner. Of that as well, so you might you should uh, join that and get a free PFF subscription if you win our Capital One Bowl Mania on ESPS. So I'll put out the group. I'll tweet it out. We'll retweet it off the PFF College account. Uh, and yeah, join it, please, because it'll be a lot of fun and pick every single bowl game straight up, which is a very difficult task to do when you have no idea who's playing in what bowl game. But yeah, so we got for our awards, Army-Navy preview and all that. So make sure you guys uh, subscribe to the channel for more content like this in the coming weeks that we have. So for Dalton Wassman for producer Eli back there, uh, I'm Max Chadwick, and we'll see you guys next time.